What's up, folks? For this week's bonus episode, we've got uh, a recording of a keynote I did at a conference we host every year for two to 300 real estate professionals from all over North America. Uh, we host it. I get the chance to kind of share what I'm passionate about and what folks are telling me they need. And so I did a session on wealth building that would apply to anyone anywhere. It is definitely my opinion of the clearest, simplest, most enjoyable path to wealth building for most Americans. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you check it out, share it with friends. Let us know if it was helpful. We'd love a review. I'll talk to you soon. Raise your hand if you would like to build wealth. And when I say wealth, I mean like long-term, like for the rest of your life, you'd like to be able to say, think, and be, not for anybody else, but for yourself, that you are truly wealthy. Okay, now raise your hand if when I say truly wealthy, you feel a little bit of awkwardness about that. Anyone? It's okay. Yeah, there's a few people, especially people that tend to have fairly conservative financial values that are like, man, I'm not trying to broadcast to the world that I'm some rich guy or girl, right? But what does wealthy actually mean? So we're going to dive into that for the next hour or so and talk about literally some ways to do that. Now, we'll dive into a lot of specifics. We'll also talk about some mindset stuff. But before we do that, would it be okay if I told you a story that literally last night I was thinking, I I don't actually don't think I've ever told anybody this. I don't even think I told my wife this. Would it be okay with you if I shared a personal story that is not a story that you would normally share in a room full of people? Do I have your permission? I'm not normally that guy. It's not like Al's story. Al's story was, listen, we're not talking about that. We all agreed. That never happened. Al was talking about sales conversion, persistence, follow. Okay. If it's okay with you, I'll share this story with you. All right. I remember being a little kid. And let me be very clear. I grew up. I had phenomenal childhood. Okay. I remember being a little kid sitting on the couch with my mom and my older brother as IRS agents came to our house to seize a whole bunch of stuff, right? Let's just call it personal property, right? And I remember sitting there thinking that I didn't understand what was happening. I certainly did not know why people were even allowed into our house to take our stuff. I do remember asking my mom and her having the not having the ability to explain it to me because she was, of course, just sobbing and crying and all the things you would be in that situation. I remember two things really vividly from that day. One is more of an image, kind of a scene, and one is a promise or a commitment that I fumbly made myself. The image is, this is going to sound really ridiculous, but the image is of some guy in a suit walking out of the house with my Christmas gift, my bolt action, single shot, open sight, 22 rifle. Now, if you're not a gun person, that's okay. The fact is for like, as long as I could remember as a child, I was waiting until I would be old enough to be able to have a gun. And that's the one I wanted. And there were lots of reasons why I didn't want a scope. I wanted an open sight. I wanted Woodstock. I didn't want carbon fiber. I wanted bolt action. I didn't want a magazine, right? There were reasons. This was meaningful. And 
if you could imagine, I was four foot 11 and 89 pounds second semester of ninth grade. So this is Little Todd. This is way before that. So Little Todd was really little. And this gun was cut down to my size. Custom made 22 rifle for Christmas. This dude wearing a black suit is carrying it out of the house. I'm asking him not to. He doesn't seem to care. My mom is absolutely losing it. And that's the scene. That's the vivid image video scene I can play in my mind about that day. The other thing I remember about that day, and I don't, it wasn't like some specific wording, but I remember making a promise, a commitment, or whatever I was capable of at that age, I think I was about eight, of saying, I will never, ever put my family in a position where this could happen to them. So you might have an image or a promise of some sort in your mind of something that happened to you in the past, negative or positive, that has informed your views, your opinion, your beliefs, your emotions about the topic of long-term wealth building. I would encourage you to summon that right now. And I would encourage you to be all in, to lean in on this session because you are the only one that can take this responsibility in your life. And you can define wealth however you want. We're going to talk in just a couple of minutes about lots of different ways, lots of different types of wealth, lots of different ways to define that. But that is when, as far as I can recall, I began having a desire to build real wealth. I'm not talking about a kid with a Lamborghini poster on the wall. I'm talking about security, freedom from putting your family through that crap. Now, caveat, I have the most loving, wonderful parents on the planet. Unknowingly, I planted some sort of flag in the ground and said, I am not coming back here. Nobody that I'm responsible for will ever do that ever have to go through that and luckily so far that has held true so let's talk about it there's a lot I want to share we'll see if we can get through it all I'm open to any commentary when we get towards the end we might grab a microphone uh, I am not coming to you claiming to be Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Oprah Winfrey of bazillions of dollars in a garage full of a million cars but I am coming to you as someone that has had the ability and the freedom uh, to survive massive market shifts and COVID-19 and ensure to my team members that their jobs are secure and ensure to my family that their home is secure and take advantage of some really amazing investment opportunities through some of those ups and downs. Um, you know, just as a kind of an off the cuff example, in the middle of COVID, we bought an office building. Uh, we were able to buy two vehicles that were otherwise unbelievably out of reach uh, with cash. Um, not out of reach, but I wouldn't have done it. Um, and take advantage of some other, you know, major upside investment opportunities when others were in the marketplace were not because of planning and long-term thinking about wealth building. So, I do 
want to invite you to ask yourself an answer for yourself. You don't need to say anything out loud. Um, are you there? Do you have that level of security? Do you have that level of confidence in your long-term wealth building? And if not, do you want that? If so, I would imagine if you're there, you have a sense of continuing to build that or help others build that. And if you're not there, you have, I would believe, a deep desire to get there. So what I want to share with you today is seven key steps, and these are not exhaustive. These are the seven things that I feel uh, most significant um, energy to share with you. There's clearly other variables. Um, but before we do that, I do want to just talk about the definition of wealth. And there's a few that I'd like to discuss. Uh, a popular one, certainly among real estate agents and brokers and team leaders and investors, is one that's made popular by Robert Kiyosaki. I don't know that he originated anything, but it's been made popular from Robert Kiyosaki. And he would measure wealth not even in dollars, but in time. He would basically say your wealth is measured in the number of days you can maintain your current lifestyle without requiring any additional income. And normally he would define that as active income, not having to work for any more income. So if your lifestyle costs $100,000 a year and you have a million dollars in cash and that cash is not rapidly losing value, then you have 10 years of freedom. That's how he would define that. If you've ever played the board game Cash Flow, it's actually a really good illustration of his definition of wealth. We do that on our team. We do that with our coaching group from time to time. Now, this is a much lengthier definition of wealth. But, uh, well, let's do this. Um, who's familiar with the book Think and Grow Rich? Okay. If you interview successful people, and that's like the most popular thing to, to, to do research on apparently is I interviewed the thousand wealthiest people. You know, it's like everyone's favorite report to write. Um, that is the most cited book, that in the Bible, uh, of books that have influenced the so-called wealthiest people, certainly in the Western world. And in the book, Napoleon Hill, the author, talks about the 12 riches of life. So this is another way to think about wealth. And he often refers to it as 12 types of wealth. Number one is a positive mental attitude. Number two is sound physical health. Number three is harmony in human relationships. Number four, this is a big one. It has been for me. Freedom from fear. Number five is hope of achievement. Number six is the capacity for faith. Number seven is the willingness to share one's blessings. Remember, these are the 12 types of riches, 12 types of wealth from Napoleon Hill. Number eight is to be working at a labor of love. Number nine an open mind on all subjects. Number 10, self-discipline is a type of wealth. Number 11 is the capacity to understand people is a form of wealth. And number 12 from Napoleon Hill is financial security. And I remember now and probably forever in my mind, listening to the audiobook version that I have. And at that point of the book, he says, 
notice that it is at the tail end of the list. That's how he thought about it too, that the financial piece was actually number 12 of 12 in his mind, that a wealthy person has all of those other things or many of those other things and that financial wealth was at the end of the list. Now, I do want to talk about my seven. Again, they're not exhaustive. And by the time we end, depending on time, I may, Eddie, have more than seven. We'll see. I have the microphone. I reserve the right to change my list whenever I want. Um, let me just check in really quick. Are we heading in a direction that you want to go? Is this valuable to you? Will this idea make your boat go faster? Will this help get you to your fifth, sixth, and seventh level of motivation and desire for who you want to be and what you want to do in the world? Okay. It's helpful for me to know because we could change course a little bit. You know, we could talk about stock picking. We'll get someone else to mic on that. All right. Number one, this is going to blow your mind. As a matter of fact, I think all of these might blow your mind. And I mean that as sarcastically as I can. Number one is live below your means. I know you never heard that one before, but you heard it here. Live below your means. None of us would ever do this, but I know a lot of people who don't live below their means. They live to present a lifestyle that looks a certain way, and they get in Facebook groups on the internet, and they say things like, I'm getting into real estate, and I want to work in the luxury market. What kind of car should I drive? And the answer potentially is an X5. The answer also might be, hey, you might be a little bit out of order on this thing. So let's live beneath our means. Now, I don't know if you want a simpler version of that, but that means spend less than you earn. Now, I will say later in my share here, I will talk about kind of some nuance of that where there are scenarios where you would spend more than you earned in say a one month period. And that will come down to healthy budgeting that can help you live a consistent life. Even if you might have somewhat inconsistent income, that's different than living beyond your means. That's creating consistency. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So number one, mind blowing idea, live below your means. Number two, this business almost requires us to look for opportunities. Was it Al earlier that was like, does anyone, you know, like actually look at property in this business? Someone said that from up here and everybody kind of laughed. Like, yeah, that's what we do all the time. This business almost requires us to look for opportunities. So do that. That's number two. Always be looking for opportunities to build wealth. Again, not just financial, but we're going to focus mostly on financial. So the obvious thing in our world is houses, right? Uh, we teach a, an investing seminar every so often, and we talk about four key ways to invest in houses, short-term flips, long-term flips, short-term rentals, and long-term rentals. These are the most obvious in my mind. There are plenty of other ways, right? You could get involved in financing, short-term paper, long-term paper, buying paper, selling paper, all that kind of stuff, right? You could get involved in uh, land uh, speculation, land development. You can get involved in complementary businesses, we don't have a ton of time to spend a lot on that, but that means you have a highly productive real estate sales organization and you bring in mortgage. 
or you bring in insurance, or you bring in title, or you bring in some complementary business that you are already lead generating for in your core business, and you add income source and opportunity for wealth building and some other. There's a lot of ways to look at that and think about that, but that's one of the things on the list of things we're looking at businesses and things like that all day long with vendor partners. Okay. Now, number three, educate yourself and surround yourself with those who pursue these opportunities. Raise your hand if you know somebody that's always looking at opportunities, but they're never doing anything about it. How many of you have a few clients that like to email you all the time to get some inside scoop on some opportunities, but they're never going to do anything? Yeah, pretty much all of us. All right, read books, watch programs, engage with peers. Has anyone ever heard that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with? I don't know if that's true, but it's pretty darn close in my life, right? So spend some time with people who are learners, who are sharers. Come to stuff like this. Spend time with coaches, masterminds, conferences, really intelligent, really action-oriented folks. Uh, There's a million ways to do that in the world we live in with access to information. But be a learner. It is directly correlated with wealth building, especially when we define wealth as more than just financial. Number four is earn interest on cash reserves. Now, again, not a mind-blowing concept, but something that a lot of people don't do. And one of the reasons is, depending on your age, most of us have spent a good chunk of our lives where the interest on saved cash is laughable. Now, I certainly wouldn't do that with all of my funds, but if I was in this business, my goal would be six or more months of cash reserves. And at the current moment, I would have that someplace that I could earn 4% or better interest. Those places are available all over the place right now. If your current savings account is not getting you 4% or better, you got to just get on the internet for like 10 minutes and figure that out. Now, there's a lot of other things you can do with that cash. I'm not here to be your investment advisor. I'm just talking about some of the simplest ways we can build wealth over time as real estate agents and brokers. There's clearly a ton more complexity we could add to this, but if you'll have six or more months of cash, you can go back to the point I made earlier And even in a month where your lifestyle demands 8,000 and you only had 6,000 in commissions, you can still live that $8,000 lifestyle of giving and providing for your family and your kids because you have six or more months in the savings account to, to, to smooth out the, the, uh, you know, peaks and valleys. Now, if you can do more than six months, absolutely encourage that. Now there's going to at some point be kind of a max on just sitting cash. You might want to deploy other cash differently, but six or more months. Um, There's a website called compareaccounts.com. If you want to let them do the bulk of the work for you, you are going to end up getting a ton of emails, but they will help you find the uh, best interest bearing accounts. Bankrate.com is another good one. And of course, everyone here is capable with the search engine. Number five, this is a big one. It is not popular in the current world we live in, especially if you spend time on social media. Number five, maximize your active income. Many of the most respected and long-term successful financial advisors will tell you your greatest financial wealth building tool is your active income. But active gets a bad rap because passive sounds so good. 
Raise your hand if you currently have legitimate, truly passive income. It requires nothing of you. Okay, a handful of people. I think I could make the argument that I have a that I have that in a couple of places. But it is a lot harder to create and find than most people would think. I think you should pursue it, but my point right now is simply to say maximize your active income. That doesn't mean work like a dog. That means in the areas that you're working, make sure that you maximize that income potential. What Craig wants to know what those truly passive income sources are. Y'all willing to shout them out? Treasuries. Delaware State Trust holding what? Holding property, rental property. Does anybody have to actively manage it? You don't. You have a manager, right? Yeah. I was just making sure we illustrated that for people because people are like, I bought rentals and they're not passive. Yeah. So that's a different approach. Anybody else? Residuals, yes, um, there. Th these things exist. Royalties, all kinds of things. You know, compound interest on cash is, you know, you know, you got to deposit it. That's not exactly like backbreaking labor. But the fact is, most people are labeling things passive that are not passive. They are out there and they are delightful, and you should definitely pursue some. My point is, everyone's talking about their side gig. Like none of those are passive. Um, there, a lot of them, most of them are distractions in my opinion. Okay. Maximize our active income. That means you're selling more houses. You're increasing your average sales price. You're increasing your commission. You're increasing your effectiveness and energy with time and quality of leads and attracting better business, chasing less and things like that. You're maximizing your active income. Number six, invest in cash, invest cash flow into more cash flow. Invest your cash flow into more cash flow. So we work really, really hard to generate cash. Ideally, we then use that cash to create more cash instead of spending it and just having to create and earn more. Now, depending on your level of wealth development or the stage of wealth development you're in, you're probably doing some of both or maybe everything that you earn needs to be deployed right now. But the goal is to get to a place where there's excess cash that can be reinvested to generate more cash on its own to put less of a burden on you to go and actively create it. The fastest way to get there is to go back to number five and maximize your active income. All right. You, the, this could be things like, um, by the way, I would call some of these semi-passive income, like uh, investing in dividend stocks. Uh, are you familiar with the term dividend kings or dividend aristocrats? Anyone? I'm getting a few nods, not a lot. Dino raised his hand. He's eager for you all to know that he is familiar with this term. Love it. That's his passive income. So those would be dividend-producing stocks. Dividend kings and aristocrats are, are just lists of dividend-producing stocks that have proven over a very long period of time to consistently increase dividend distributions to owners. It's basically buying a stock that that stock pays you a distribution. That's the wrong term, but that's what it feels like every year. So, and, and some, some of them more frequently than that. That's one way. Rental houses, short-term and long-term. Commercial rentals, which are some of my very favorite cash flow investments, small commercial or large commercial. Uh, syndicated investment opportunities, fractional property ownership, storage units of any kind, investing in royalties, whether that's something you've published or you've purchased rights to something. Um, content, see tomorrow's 1 p.m. session and others. 
Um, let me just tell you right now, we are, you know, we're not exactly printing money with our content, but we generate about 10 bucks a day uh, from YouTube ad revenue and a little over 6,000 a month uh, in sponsorship on the content we create. Would that make your boat go faster? If you had that going on? Sure it would. Yeah. I mean, it's not like 12, 350 horsepower motors, but it's helpful. Certainly doesn't hurt. So um, content can be a source. Anybody else have any other ideas on semi-passive investments that can create cash flow? All right, we'll keep trucking. Um, number seven, another mind blower here, y'all. Own appreciating assets. Sounds right for our industry. I mean, this, if you don't believe in that, we should talk. And by that, I mean, we shouldn't. Um, go back to Robert Kiyosaki. Anybody want to tell me how he defines an asset and a liability? An asset puts money in your pocket and a liability takes it out. So Robert Kiyosaki would say the home that you live in is not an asset because you're spending money to live there. It's not bringing money in. You can argue with him all you want about that. You can go argue with Grant Cardone. You can argue with um, everybody else on social media telling you not to own property and all the things. But the point we're making is you want to own assets that appreciate and value. Um, typically, those are not cars or boats or any version of either of those things. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't own them. Those just don't belong in the wealth building category, right? There are stages of life and times to enjoy those things as an investment in experience and, and fun and passion and hobbies and things like that. We just got to make sure we put them in the right box. Again, the cash flow game uh, that Robert Kiyosaki developed, uh, those are called doodads. And once you've played the game for like five or 10 minutes, you do not want a doodad. In real life, doodads are fun. In the game of wealth building, doodads are bad. So there's some balance there, but that's something to think about. We want to own appreciating assets like real estate, quality equities, businesses, legitimate collectibles, not just stuff that you like that will never actually go up in value or ever be sellable, but legitimate collectibles, not doodads. Now that was seven. I think we have time. I happen to have six more. Are we doing well? Is this helpful? I know for a lot of people, it's like none of this is new information, but it might be a good thinking session. For some of you, this might just be simplifying the idea of wealth building for you. That's the goal. Do you want to keep going? Okay. All right. Number eight, build real businesses. Anybody want to guess why I use the word real? <laughs> That's funny, but no. Anyone? Because there are a lot of people that are real estate agents, brokers, and team leaders that do not own real businesses. Now, they might have an LLC or an S-Corp or a C-Corp, but it's not a business. It's a job. It's a pipeline that will die the second they die. They will die the second they leave town for more than 30 minutes. They will die the second someone's not cracking the whip. A real business is a consistent, repeatable, predictable, sustainable income source where everyone involved benefits it adds value to the world. You can define that differently. That's how I define it. Building a real business generates the things we're talking about. Not just financial wealth, but consistency, predictability, stability, freedom from fear, 
the ability to weather storms. It's not entirely dependent on you. It has multiple sources of clients, income, impact. If you're asking me, that's a real business and there aren't that many of them in our industry. There are some amazing pipelines. There's some amazing lead generation organizations, but there's not a ton of 1099 real estate agents that have a genuinely real, sustainable, predictable, consistently productive, um, not supermarket sensitive business. But if you can build that, that's a true uh, piece of a wealth building puzzle. And you can do that, by the way, as a team member, a team leader, a brokerage owner, solo, solo with help. That's not about a big entity or a big organization or a big headcount. That's about those elements of consistency, predictability, multiple sources, sustainability, freedom from fear, ability to weather the storms. Number nine is automate your finances. Now, you're not going to automate every single aspect of it, but don't raise your hand, but answer this in your own mind. Has anyone in this room ever made a commitment and not followed through? Mm-hmm. Has anyone ever made a commitment that was a really good idea? Like it was a good choice and still didn't follow through. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm going to save $500 every month. And then looking back 12 months down the road, you're like, ooh, I got two out of 12. Right? Well, that's not a great way to t take advantage of compound interest and wealth building. Automating it is a great way to do it. I read a book. I, <laughs> this is a ridiculous story. But like 10 days after we got married and went on our honeymoon, we got into a suburban, my wife and I, with my parents and my younger sister and drove all the way from Houston, Texas to New York City. Do not recommend. It's just a bad idea. But something great came out of it because somehow I convinced everyone in that suburban to listen to the book by David Bach called Automatic Millionaire. Now, that book's 20 years old now at least, but I bet you it's still incredible. Here's the summary of the whole book. If you automate it, it will actually happen. If you don't, it will almost never happen. It's just too difficult. Too much self-control required, too much life happening in the middle. So if you'll automate distribution, allocation, savings, reinvestment, getting into the kids' college savings, getting into the long-term savings, getting into the short-term investment, parking that over here, pay yourself first, make sure you get your taxes put away. If you'll automate all that stuff, it will happen. And there is freedom in it. Number 10, avoid lots of debt. Now, I understand there's a wide variety of viewpoints on debt. I'm not saying avoid debt at all. I'm saying avoid lots of debt. By all means, avoid super high interest rate debt. Let me be clear, 8-ish percent is not necessarily super high debt, depending on what you're buying with it. But if you can pay cash, a lot of the time, there's a real ROI on that, psychologically, emotionally, and financially. If you can pay off debt, without playing games on spreadsheets with interest rates and things, there's both a financial win and a psychological and emotional win. 
You get to offload that out of your mind, off the list of burdens that weigh you down and frustrate you and free up that energy and time and focus to go and build wealth. And again, avoid super high interest rate debt. Number 11, I just made a note about taxes. And basically the point here is find someone that knows what they're talking about, not someone that like tries to cheat the IRS all the time. You're rarely going to win that race in the long term. Find someone that knows what they're talking about with taxes. Usually that's not you. You're a little too close to the issue. If your world is very, very simple, I respect it if it's you. But as soon as you add any complexity into your wealth building picture, I recommend you find someone that is highly specialized to help with those taxes. Um, Don't cheat, but also don't be wasteful. Pretty safe little counterbalance there. Take advantage of every opportunity and incentive the tax code offers, but let's not be cheaters and criminals. Number 12, take advantage of experts and be willing to pay for the value that experts provide. See number 11, taxes, attorneys, hire people that you will listen to. Don't hire someone for their expertise and then ignore their expertise. Save the money or hire someone you'll actually listen to. Don't be cheap in this category. We don't want to be people to be cheap with our expertise. Let's not be cheap with theirs. Not just because it's a nice sentiment, because that's how value works. Invest in really great value from experts, and I think you'll do really, really well. By the way, we're one of the only industries I've ever seen where people don't believe that. All right. Last one I think is really, really important, and that is if you haven't started yet, start now. If you already started, great, but give it time. And I would label all of that think long term. Obviously, today is the most intense day of our lives because it's the only one we're actively living. But the reality is we've got to think long term about all things wealth, all those 12 types of wealth, relationship, health, mental attitude, definitely finances. But when we think about both uh, our short term and long term impact, our ability to have freedom from fear, all these things that we all desire, it does take time. Right? Especially if you feel like you're in a hole right now. Taking out of that hole takes time. There's joy in the journey. Proving to yourself that you can win small battles along the way builds momentum and confidence to get there. So I do want to say this. I want to reiterate that wealth building has a lot, has to do with a lot more than just finances. As real estate agents, oftentimes the outside onlooking world thinks that we're in a career where it is easy to build wealth. We all know, at least at times, that is painfully untrue. There's a lot of work. And there's a constantly changing economy and market and world that we're efforting to build wealth in. But when we get it right, the rewards, the impact, the reach, the relationship, the children that get fed, the facilities that get built, the lifestyle we can provide for children and family, the problems we can solve are incredible and they're worth it. And as simple as most of this was, I truly believe it can be that simple. It has been in my life. 
again, I'm not saying I'm Jeff Bezos or Oprah or anything like that, but I have, I have so far kept my promise to little Todd on the couch with the IRS agents hauling our stuff off and my mom sobbing uncontrollably that I will not put my family in that position if I can control it. And that last statement is important and I want to make sure everybody hears me. Not everything is completely within our control. In the world of building businesses and self-improvement, we like to take responsibility for things ourselves and I'm all for it. But life does happen. And if life has happened to you, I love you. I appreciate you. I recognize that not all things are within our control, but as soon as we can, we want to get back on our feet. We want to keep fighting. We want to keep pursuing who we want to be and the impact we want to have with the businesses we're building. And I believe there is a wealth building plan this simple that can help you get to the place that your fifth, sixth, and seventh answer to the question, why do you do this, would want you to be. Thanks for listening, folks. Hopefully you're liking the bonus content that we're throwing out on the podcast. If you do, share it, like it, subscribe it, do all the things people do. Also, if there's anything else we can do for you or any of the resources we ever mention on the show, head over to ToddTremontiTeam.com, ToddTremontiTeam.com to find all the goodies we talk about here on the podcast or the radio show or the YouTube channel or any other place. ToddTremontiTeam.com.